Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode 115. My guest today is Justin McRoberts. Justin is all about helping people live generous lives that faithfully do good work in the world. To that end, he has been and is a musician, a writer, personal coach, uh, does all kinds of interesting things, and is a really fun guy. I really, really, really enjoyed this. I find myself saying that every week, so obviously... I'm just blessed to have amazing conversations with people all the time. But editing this podcast and going back through it today, so many things stuck out to me. And I, I'm, I'm really excited to share this with you. Justin has a brand new book out that we talk a bunch about today. It's called It Is What You Make of It, Creating Something Great from What You've Been Given. Justin also wrote a book called Prayer and May It Be So, co-wrote those actually with Scott Erickson, who has been on this show before today. We talked all about the process of becoming, I guess, <laughs> of trying something, of failing, of throwing all your energy into the dream you think you have, but really just letting that refine you and refine your understanding of yourself and of your passions and of life so that you can actually then pivot around those passions in order to create something amazing for the very people that you're in relationship with. It's like a whole different way for me of thinking about the process of becoming and of creating. So if you are creative, if you are entrepreneurial, if you are stuck at a point in your career where you're bored and you want to make a change, if you are just looking at uh, hopefully, you know, the end of this COVID time and are dreaming about the future and thinking about like, what should the next phase of my life be like, then there is a lot of really great stuff in here for you. I'll link to uh, Justin's book and his podcast and other resources in the show notes and talk about them again at the end of the show. Let's get into it. Justin McRoberts, I uh, was new to you. We've been following. I've been following you on Instagram for a while and just seeing your 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 little writing snippets there. And I was like, who is this guy? Is this like, is he kind of some kind of poet or like, what is it? And so I've been digging into who you are and I've been actually sitting in my living room, listening to your music the last couple of days. And it's been delightful. It has been a really oh, that's wonderful really cool, soul space for me. So thank you. That's generous. Thank you. My pleasure. you and welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. That was a great start. Why don't we kill it there? That feels really good. Excellent. All right. Uh, head to his website and buy his stuff. Goodbye. Done. And good night. Okay. So you, you're, I, I am guilty of saying it is what it is. I say this all the time. It is like a yes. really common turn of phrase yep. for me. For me, it doesn't mean yeah. that I'm like giving up, but it's me sort of like, it's my... It's my saying, this is this is something I've chosen to be content with because <laughs> yes. I can yeah. no longer change it. <laughs> yes. But, yeah. um, so you've written this book, It Is What You Make of It, Creating Something Great from What You've Been Given. And yes. honestly, when, when you first emailed me and pitched the title, my initial reaction was, oh man, this sounds like just more of this work harder bullshit that <laughs> I like have tried to train out of my own life. But, yes. but I thought that would be incongruous with everything else that I've seen about what you do. Yes. And so as soon yes. as I began reading, I was like, oh, this feels hope-filled. This feels like an encouragement. This oh, feels like, great. this feels like actually I'm given, um, what's the word? I guess like, like agency and dignity. That's exactly the word I want people to walk away with. So talk agency. to me about it. Why'd you write it? Where'd it come from? 
Well, you kind of you hit a you hit a bit of a nuanced thing. For some folks, they will come. I'm, I'm assuming they'll come to the book for the same reason they would come to. And these are not rips because I like these people a lot. Uh, the same reason they'll come to like a John Acuff book or uh, or a Gary Vaynerchuk book or a Seth Godin book. All they they're all doing something similar to some degree as well. But like folks, including myself, I go to those folks because I go to Seth Godin or Gary Vaynerchuk or John Acuff because. I'm looking at my life and thinking there's stuff I want to be doing. There's more, there's a sense of more. Um, and I, and I want to learn how to, I want to learn how to work better. That's why I show up there. It's like there's work that I want to do in my life. I want to be better at that. Um, and I love, like, I love that impulse uh, in people is to, is that whole, like you, you, you got like, you know, work harder bullshit. Like, yeah. It, I like the idea of like of working harder, kind of, but I want to do something with this a little bit like uh, we have a slightly mutual friend and by slightly mutual, I mean, we're not really friends, friends, but in Andy um, who said, you know, try softer. Like her thing is like, let's take this and tweak this a little bit. You're not wrong, wrong, wrong about this approach. There's a little bit of a twist here. So you said a second ago, the really nuanced bit that's actually right at the heart of it is, uh, I don't want you to care less about things. I want you to care about fewer things. Mm. So like you can't care about everything. <laughs> so when you say it is what it is, there are times when like you, what you're saying is like, I, this is, I, I, I'm content with this. And I think the reason we say that is not because it's not actually about the thing itself. It's not about this monolith of, you know, systemic racism. It's that, like, I can't, I've come to an end of my particular efforts here, which is more so a confession of powerlessness. One, like I can't, I recognize my own powerlessness. So I'm going to talk about me instead of that thing. Like mm -hmm. it is what it is. No, no, no. That has nothing to do with this. You don't have the energy for it. Let's just name that. You don't have the energy for it. That's cool. Or you don't know enough about it. I don't know what to do about trans kids and suicide. Okay. But that's not, it is what it is. It's awful. And it should change. Yes. You just don't have the agency, the information, or the, you don't have the, the, the energy and the information. So let's name that what it is. And as I begin to pare that down, then the things that I really do have enough information about, energy for, a passion for, a sense of wisdom to, um, like a sense of like divine connection and relationship with, those are the things that I get to like redirect all this angsty energy where I feel like the whole freaking world's coming apart at the seams, which it kind of is. And say, this is the space in which I know that I can function well and wisely and mm -hmm. like, I'm going to actually apply my energies here. So it is part of part of what you got you just now is like, it's not a matter of this doesn't matter. It's not a matter of that I don't care about it. And it's certainly not a matter of like, this just is what it is and it will never change. It's just, like I, I can't do, I can't do that part right now. And I'm confessing my own powerlessness or disconnect here, which I think is really important. Yes. So it's kind of like, let's not leave the world unchanged. Yeah, you, you can work only so hard in only so many places. You're going to die at some point. It's going to come up like that. Um, you and I were both in our freaking 20s yesterday and making plans and thinking about like what life would be like. Oh, my God, who wants kids? And then all of a sudden, literally, it's all of a sudden like I have two. Like, like what happened? It goes by real quick. Like life is uh, not... <laughs> Human life is not a renewable resource. It has a beginning, it has an end, and then it's done. You have so much time, you have so much energy, you'll have so much money. What specifically do you want to do with it? And part of what steals the joy of that is like this sense of like, I've got to have my hands in everything. I've got to fix everything. I have to care about everything. No, you really don't. 
you have to know what it is that you can care about. You have to know what it is you can do something wisely and well about and apply yourself there. Once you've done that, you get to say, that's not just what it is. That is awful and it should change. And God bless the people who apply themselves to that. I'm just not powerful enough or wise enough or smart enough or informed enough to actually do something about it, which is a very different thing than saying it is what it is. Right, right, right. So it's, yeah, it's like choosing your battles, but Mm -hmm. much, much more, much more robustly, you know, you kind of almost laid out like a five point Venn diagram of all these different (laughs) factors. And we're looking for that gold spot in the middle where, where the fullness of your humanity gets brought to bear on something that hopefully impacts someone else. Well, and the reality is that's probably where I'm working anyways, right? The reality is, is like that the Venn diagram of the things with the thing I actually care about, the thing I actually have legitimate agency in, the thing I actually have a budget for, the thing I actually have time for, the thing that actually impacts my life, which is usually the factor that actually draws us into is like, does it, does it really affect your life? Those are the things that eventually, those are the things that are actually acting on my soul anyways. I'm probably already working there. I'm probably already doing that. Um, and, and so to, to recognize that and live fully into that, as opposed to distract myself from the thing, I'm probably living already in that like golden spot. Um, I just, if I can do that more consciously, more wisely, one, I'm more effective in that place where it's like, yeah, I, 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 I don't not care about trans teenagers. I just don't have any in my life. And so I can worry and I can, uh, or I can recognize that there, there are people who are working really diligently to meet those kids right where they're at and love them exactly where they are. Um, and I can apply instead of that worry energy over here, like, how is this going to work? I can apply my energy to the things like there, what, what there are, is there a bunch of kids in this neighborhood whose parents are gone a, a ton of the day, most of the week. And I get to be an adult who's present to them. And that's the thing that I can do. Yes, yes, yes. This is already so much more, uh, life mission philosophical than I kind of had in my head, uh, which is wonderful. <laughs> I'm, I love this. Okay, good. Uh, boil it down to a couple of like practical different spheres. Like uh, obviously sure. you do a lot of work in creative spaces. Um, do you have a particular modality that you're kind of envisioning when you put some of these words down? Um, you mean for my readers or for myself? Either, both, or, or how does this, why don't you talk about your own life and, and say some sure. of the, some of the lessons and the projects and the, <laughs> the screw ups um, for you. Tell us a story. So I started playing music uh, in my early twenties and um, the whole kit and caboodle for me with music was like, I wasn't, I wasn't, this story is actually in the book. I wasn't trying to play music for a living. Um, I was just writing songs. Cause like I, I was a kid who didn't do the God thing at all. And then like a number of things happened. I was like, maybe this is a real thing. And I didn't know what the hell to do with that. Uh, And so I started writing songs and um, the guy who owned the house I was living in came to me and asked if I was interested in making music for a living, Um, which takes me to this whole other level in which like he, (laughs) he didn't think I was good at music. This was what's fascinating. He actually did not think I was good at music. He just liked me as a person, <laughs> and, uh, which is which is actually true. We were at a thing in Nashville um, where he introduced me to he introduced me to a room full of radio executives and and like store buyers and all these folks. This is ninety 
98, 99. So the uh, peak Christian music. <laughs> Bro, it was blowing up. We thought like everyone, it was like, I didn't even, and I didn't even, there's a layer to this. I didn't even know it existed. Like people like the Christian music marketplace. So I'm like, you guys have your own? Like, why would you do that? That's so weird. Oh, and we then I was in it. it. And boy, did we. And that didn't go that well. So, um, uh, so anyways, I'm at this this thing uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, and I walk onto the stage behind Frank. Frank Tate with Five Minute Walk Records, and he gets on the microphone. I'm standing behind him holding my guitar, and he goes, <laughs> he said, so this is Justin McRoberts, um, and he's the artist we'll be focusing on this year, which is like, that's the normal intro. Everyone does that. But then, like, they talk up their artists. They're like, this is Audio Adrenaline. Who Audio Adrenaline was, like, massive Christian rock thing at the time. They played that morning, like, two sets before me. And their exec got up was like, this record's going to change the face of rock. I think this might take over the world. The kids in Japan are going to love it. It was just this big thing. And uh, and Frank says, this is Justin McRoberts. He's the artist we'll be focusing on this year. And I'll be honest, he's not very good right now. Like legit, 100% with our questions, exactly what he said. And, and, he sa- and then he said, um, but I think a lot of the artists that you are going to see this morning probably won't be playing music two or three years from now, because it's really hard. I think Justin will be making art 15 years from now and it'll be really good. So I'm making a long-term investment. And if you want to do that with me, great. And if you don't, I don't care. And he walked off the stage. Wow. <laughs> right? That is something. That's something. And uh, so I started playing music because this, not because, and this goes directly to the modality question. I wasn't like trying to play music. I liked uh I, I I liked what Frank was doing for me, which was to say, like, I see something in you um, that is not developed yet. It's not complete, but I want to invest in it. Mm. Um, and so I'm going to put my best foot forward because Frank didn't start a record label because he wanted to run a record label. He was just like, how do I meet people where they are? People like music. I'll just do music. Like he never cared about the thing he was doing. He started like a pizza place after that. And like it was just like he would just do stuff. And it was never the thing itself. What it was for Frank is there's something in you that gets sold a bill of goods by the culture or by the marketplace or uh, or whatever propaganda is around you is around you. It steals from you the actual process of you becoming. So I wanted to do that with people. I want to do that for people. It's like, how do I get into your psychology somewhere where I can start tapping into that thing in you that is like the most glorious and happiest and deepest expression of who you are as a person. And if I can write songs to get there, great. And then when the songs thing started to kind of peter out, it was more about stories. And when the stories thing, as that has grown, that's become more things like coaching and retreat leading and like pastoring a church. But like, and it never has been a matter of like the thing I'm doing. Like I'll take that tool and I love that. I, like, I liked pastoring church. I love writing books. I still like music-ish. Uh, but mostly I like getting into people's psychologies and tapping on that root and saying, I think this might actually be the best version of you. How do we get this out of here? Mm. I have experienced that. I, I am blessed and thankful to a couple of years ago, be at something. I didn't think I realized that I was at a career, you know, an intersection point. Uh, I didn't quite realize it, but other people did. And I had, I had traveled abroad to see a friend who, you know, his life was falling apart. And a couple of other people said, you know, so what are you doing right now? And I said, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And one of the guys said, I think that you are like a living room pastor. I think that's really the best version of who you are. So mm-hmm. go and figure out how to monetize or whatever yeah. in order to feed your family. But like, 
you should be having one-on-one conversations with people. Yes. That's what you should be doing. That's good. And that I, I tried all kinds of ways to figure out how to make that work. Most of them didn't work. But here we are three, four yeah. years later, and that's exactly who I am and what I'm doing. Yes. You just said something that was really interesting to me, if I heard you correctly, that the thing that we do can sometimes block the process of becoming. 100%. Unpack that for me. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll work with, I do a lot of coaching now with artists, pastors, entrepreneurs and folks, uh, I'm going to, I will, I will say this out loud. This will be an overstatement and I will walk parts of it back, but I think I have to start here. Folks get full blown hung up on the end result. That's too easy to say, but it's exactly what I mean. I'm just trying to do something a little more nuanced with it. So I'll talk to an author. Uh, I'll talk to a writer. (laughs) This is exactly what I do. I'll talk to a writer. And she'll say, this happened, this happens all the time, it happened last week. She's like, I want to, I want to write a book, is what she says. She comes to me and says, I want to write a book. I'm like, okay, tell me about that. Like, what do you see? She's like, ah, and it, you know, it's just, you know, I have these things, these thoughts, and I just I want to put them in book form. I'm like, okay. So, you know, like, what's in the book? She's like, I don't really know. I'm like, so what makes it a book? She's like, why? I said, what, why are you hung up on the book? She's like, because that's that's what that's what writers do. I'm like, no, not necessarily. Like, do you write it all? She's like, yeah, I write. I'm like, where does it go? She said, oh, no, she, I said, why are you hung, hung up with the book? She said, because I want to be a public, I want to be a published writer. I want to be a published right. author. I was like, okay, interesting. So do you write anywhere? She said, yeah. And I knew this before I asked it. I said, do you write anywhere? She said, yeah. I said, do you have a blog? She said, yeah, but I also posted Facebook and Instagram. She's got a crap ton of followers. I was like, huh, how often are you posting? Two or three times a week. I'm like, okay. And you've got like 25,000 followers on Instagram. She said, yeah. I said, do you know the average book sells like 200 copies on Amazon? Like right about. So you have books to sell like 4 million copies and then all the rest of them and it averages out to like 200. Every single time you post something to Instagram, close to 10 to 15,000 people read it. So you are actually a published writer and you need to get off this whole book thing because you are actually the person you want to be right now. But the idea of this book is stealing that joy from you. Mm. But somehow you have to put a freaking book together to be a published author. Do you know how many people read books? Not that many people are reading books anymore. You know why? Because they're reading your freaking Instagram blog. <laughs> like, that's why. Like they are already re- reading you. So, and this is what I mean. Like, and this happens in perpetuity. And the thing that you just talked about with regards to pastoring, boy, don't you and I both know it with regards to like, what's it look like to shepherd people in the faith? They're like two or three like sanctioned stamped models institutionally. Like it looks like this, it looks like this, and it looks like this. And, and also if you want to do a dinner church thing, that's fine. You know what I mean? But like, what's it actually look like to shepherd people? That really should be like a completely open field without borders and like, and people are doing it all the time. But the idea of a church or being a pastor steals the joy from what you actually are in the relationship to people, to people around you. It happens all the time. Wow. That's like, yes, that, that is, that is clarifying so many things I've experienced and observed <laughs> uh, in my own life, for sure. The, uh, and I and I suspect, yeah, okay, I could I could riff on this all day, but I'm going to not because already my brain is is like spinning off. But that is that is so intriguing. Okay, well, maybe maybe we'll stay here just for a minute because sure. Even I think in COVID, I felt like there's this major gift in the midst of this horrific, painful, traumatic experience of like, hold on. I've spent the last 10 years doing something I don't think I want to be doing. And suddenly I've had a big enough kick 
to decide maybe now's the time to change. Yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Do, do you think like, I don't know, I, 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 the, the optimistic part of me says we're headed for a better world because of all the human beings who suddenly woke up to their own humanity yes. in the midst yes. of the death of COVID. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and, you know, this is where it, it, it's, a, it's a little, I, I'm a little nervous uh, in saying some of these things because there is a correctness in the posture of saying like, I don't want to, I don't want to overspeak about COVID and the cost of COVID, really? whether that's human lives or, or businesses or what have you. I don't want to minimize it. Be like, Oh, it, you know, God works all good things out for people. It said, I don't want to, I'm not trying to do that. But <laughs> at the same time, it's a big old, but, but at the same time, um, if you are someone, and this is why I'm really glad the book is coming out now. Uh, if you are someone uh, who has had that sense of upset, that unrooted sense uh, that like I've been working all this time at this thing, it was taken out of my hands. I've had no control of it, control over it for eight months to a year. I don't know how to rebuild it the way it was. I'm not sure what the hell I'm going to do. And there's part of me that doesn't actually want that back. There's part of me that's like, like I miss this thing, but there's a lot about it that I don't miss. If you're actually in that place, my push is like, now is actually the time to not play it safe. Now is actually the time to like literally now. And this is one of those, like, like I sound, I have, it's like, I've got the scrolling numbers behind my act now, call now. And you get this Ginsu knife. Like, but like now is actually not the time. If we're reading the culture correctly, if we're reading the moment correctly, now is not the time to play it safe, to, to, to hunker down and to make sure you've got all your security in line before you take your risks. Because if we've learned something <laughs> together culturally is like, there is no safe. Mm -hmm. Like this thing you thought you built that was sure was ripped the freak out of your hands in mm -hmm. a moment. Everything I knew I was going to do to make money in 2010, or, uh, in 2020, wow, uh, 2010, I'm that old now. In 2020, e like everything I knew I was going to make money on that year, within five days, I had every single dime of, of money like taken right off my calendar in five days. I watched it happen like at the very tail end of March where all these folks are trying to hold on, going to do this conference, going to do a treat, going to think, gone. gone. And it's the surest thing. I've been working at this for 20 years. 20 years, I've got 20 years of relationships. I've got 20 years of, of established reputation in certain cultures, in certain states, certain towns, and it was gone for a year. There is no sure thing, except that I know who I am and I know what I'm good at. And the thing I don't want to bank on is the end result or what it's going to look like when I have this finished project. What I do want to bank on is I'm actually good at some of the things I'm good at. And I actually care about some of these things really deeply and I'd rather build my entire life around that. Mm. That's the thing I'm sure of. I'm certain that I'm at some point, you're just sure. Like you're just talking about it. Like I'm, you know, it. like, you know, I've paid attention to you. You're really good at what you do. And it comes across really clearly. Like you really care about what you do. And this is what I was saying, what, you know, before we started the podcast, it's abundantly clear that you care about the people you're working with and for, like, it's just very clear. You're in that spot. That's worth banking on. This is the time to actually say, I know that I'm good at some things. I think I'm good at some things. And I know that these are some things that I care about. And I'm going to take some risks and start building the next year and a half around what I'm actually good at, 
what I actually like doing and what I actually care about and see how that works. This is that time. Yes, I resonate. That's great. Okay, so now I've got a picture of some dudes' faces, mostly dudes for some reason, who, <laughs> who come to me with an idea and they are yes. thrilled to, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to cancel my degree. I've got this. This is what God is saying. This is the calling on my life. This is the prophetic word. This is the harebrained scheme that I came up with. And you know, it's not going to fly. Mm-hmm. You're, you're sitting on the other side and you're just like, no, it's not this one. It's not this one. Um, <laughs> what do you, what do you, how, what are your thoughts on that? Like, what do you say let's to someone? It. You just say it. Let's go. What do you yeah, do with someone who feels like, you know, I'm 55. I've thrown all these things at the wall for the last 20 years. Nothing's working. Yeah. So do it again. Get up. Mm-hmm. You're fine. Let's go. Uh, the, I'm thinking of two, two lines here. I don't know if you ever watched the West Wing, uh, yeah. uh, but um, one of my favorite lines in the West Wing is, I, I think it might've been episode three, it's definitely season one. And Leo McGarry talks about, like they come up against something, I think it was a gun bill. So maybe it's episode four or five, this gun bill. And they're, and they, they're, tr- they're shucking and jiving and they're trying to make the thing work. And, they, and now they realize they don't have, their, I, I, think, I think actually the episode is called Five Votes Down. And Leo McGarry says, if we're going to run into walls, I want us running into them full steam. And I'm like, oh, I love that. So that moment where it's like, I had this hairbrand idea. I think I've heard from the voice of God. I'm like, great, cool. Let's throw, let's, let's throw our weight behind that and let's go see what happens. If you think you're right about something, if you have a passion behind it, shoot. Just hold your expectations loosely for how that's going to play out. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not saying don't do it with, your, with all your heart. Do it. And when you when it doesn't work, because it never works the first time, it almost never works exactly at one hundred percent. But when it when it doesn't work perfectly well, one, two things end up happening. And there's another story I'll get to in a second. Two things that I'm having. One is I actually find my own limitations, my own shape. Like I like I figure out like oh this doesn't work, and I know it doesn't work. And I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not confused. Like, well, if I would have tried harder, I could have made it work. No, you knew you tried your hardest and that it didn't work. So now you're done with that one. Mm. And that's, that's, that's part of what McGarry was getting after is like, if we're going to fail, we're going to fail trying, actually trying. Um, but then the other part of it is <laughs> um, you end up missing. We end up missing in ways that are like beautiful and wonderful. And like, and we discover because part of the actual work of art is like you are probably wrong about the thing you are actually wanting to do, but the vision of what you think you're supposed to do will take you in the direction in which you get to discover the thing that you're actually better at. So if I don't actually sell out on this thing that's leading me this direction, and theology works this way exactly the same way. Like, you no, know, of course you don't know what the hell God is like, but if, if you don't chase God the way you think God actually works, then you won't find out how freaking wrong you are and you'll never actually have the gracious, gracious moment in which you'd be like, have the revelation of like, I... I, I, I thought that this was this way and clearly it's not like you never get there unless you chase mm. the thing you think. So my thing is always like, okay, yes. Do you want to do that? You have some resources, you got some time, let's go. And when we find out that we're not at hundred percent, maybe we're at 30%, cool. Then 30% is way the hell more than we had when we got started. So let's start again at 30. Yes. I like that. Okay. So let's say I like that. What do you say to the person who's Who's just whose soul is now tired? You've taken a few solid hits. You've just said get up and go, but maybe it's like okay, well, 
not not this hour, Justin. Correct. Uh, that's the next book, man. Uh, is uh, it's actually true. Is is it's about Sabbath keeping and rest. And part of what I get into in, in this book a little bit has to do with rhythm. Has to do with like with self care. Uh, has to do with the relationship between rest and work. Um, part of what I have discovered in myself is that the, the practice of rest has only really come as I've actually fallen in love with the work that I'm doing. Mm. So because I care about what I do, I really, really, really want to do it well. So when I'm not, it bugs me. And so then I pay attention to why and I realize that I'm tired and I'm like, okay, I can't do this pace. If I'm working at things I don't care about, I'm not really that concerned about the fact that I'm half-assing my job. I'm just trying to get through. But if I care about what I'm doing, I'm like, I want to be fully present here and give myself completely to this thing. And I'm not able to. So I should probably develop better patterns so that I give a better version of myself to this space. Mm -hmm. So rest becomes an actual thing that I want because I care about my work. Yes. I actually think, and this is a terrible way to say this because, well, not terrible. I know this is a little bit counterintuitive. I don't think people go to rest first. I think particularly for people like myself and for people I think will resonate with the book. I didn't start the Sabbath because it's a commandment. It's a commandment. Like it's like, don't kill people. Like don't steal things, you know, like take a day off. Like the take it out. Like I was never going to read the Bible and be like, yeah, it says Sabbath. So I'm going to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I came to the practice of rest because I was working my ass off of things that I cared about. And I wanted to do that really well. And I think that's probably the case for a lot of us. So rest becomes important when we actually work at the things we care about. Rest is not important because we're not concerned about how healthy we are at working. We're just trying to work so we can pay for our lives. Mm. Do you think we could make a corollary and look at all the people who are the most frantically burned out and say, huh, you're probably not living in your integrity or working in your integrity. I would, I, I think that would be, I think that would be, I'm, I'm, I'm certain actually there's some sort of study and it wouldn't shock me if it was like, at the, like a, um, an almost direct parallel. That's so interesting. Brene Brown, I've heard about talking about the difference between giving up and giving in. And she's sort of using giving in as this allusion to like surrender, that there is, that there is like an inner leading that is pulling you somewhere that you're probably been resisting all this time. And with, you know, if, if we, if we don't, we don't want to give up, right. We want to, we want to make something and, and be good but that there is like almost like a subtle thing between letting get, giving up on something good and then actually learning to like give in to that kind of inner thing. I want you tweeted mm-hmm. this thing out yesterday or just the other day. My way forward is far more often hampered by not doing what I know I can or even should do than it is ever by not knowing what to do. Yeah. Where did do, where does that lie with you in terms of kind of like I don't know the mysterious flame that leads us on and desire and not knowing, knowing what to do and not like all that kind of. Yeah. I don't know that. I think that I, I, and this is where like my father's pragmatism really plays into my life spiritually is like, I don't think that the flame is that mysterious. I just think it's unexamined. I, I think it's untapped to think like, I think it's, um, I think there's enough. <laughs> I, I don't, um, I don't apply myself to it. Like I don't get all the way. I, I half-ass it. I mean, this is the, this is Lewis's whole thing, right. About like, 
you get satisfied with making mud pies because you don't want because you don't know what it would be like to to take a vacation at sea. Um, the whole thing, like that we've yes. done a million times. But there really is like because I'm nervous, because I'm afraid, all these things are reasonable. I don't I don't think it's a matter of like I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. I think you know what you want to do. Um, I hear sorry because I hear a lot of people say things to me like I just don't know what I want to do or I just don't. And know. I think that's and I think that's trash. I think I think that's I think you do. I think you don't want to try because you don't want to fail. And I totally get that. But there really isn't enough. There isn't a workaround for that in terms of what are you supposed to do with your life? Like this whole question, like what am I supposed to be doing with my life? Um, there isn't a workaround that that bypasses the, the 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 long seasons, multiple long seasons in which you're doing things that aren't satisfying, so you can figure out what is. There just isn't a way around that. Like that's that is the bog you have to travel through with Sam and Frodo in order to get where you're going. Like you have to do that. You have to read all of the two towers before anyone lets you <laughs> read Return of the King. It's <laughs> exactly. I was like, this book is so long. Um, but that's it. That's exactly it. Like you have, like that is the bog. I have to, and it goes, you know, to all that real simple, sometimes hallmarky, cheesy art stuff. Like you have to make bad art in order to make good art. You have to live life poorly in order to live life well. You absolutely have to. You have to get things wrong. You have to be. You have to work through disillusionment. You have to work through disappointment, and not avoid it. You actually have to go there, all the way there and put your best foot forward, dig all the way in, get neck deep into a thing and figure out like, I actually hate it here. Mm. Okay, cool. Then now we got, now we got somewhere to go. So like, I, like it's never almost ever that like, I don't know what it is I'm supposed to do. It's, you know enough about what it is that you want to do. Um, and, and you should just bank on that. And then we'll get to the whole supposed to later on. That's really good. We'll take a quick break from Justin's brilliance so that I can thank my patrons. Huge shout out to Kimmy, Mark, Melanie, and Marcia, who are all brand new patrons who've come on in the last couple of weeks. Thank you very much for joining the team. Thank you to everybody who shares the show, who chips in, who gives one-time gifts, who encourages me. I've begun wading back into a little bit of social, just, I guess not wading, just dipping my toes, really. And it's, uh, it's just nice to check my inboxes and find such lovely messages from people. So if you are the kind of person who has ever sent me a lovely message, or even just thought lovely thoughts in my direction, I would like to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I certainly appreciate being thought of and uh, prayed for. Somebody gave me a lovely kind of prophetic word the other day. So hey, I'll take it. Thank you, friends, for being here with me on this journey. So honored to share it all with you. If you would like to support me in any way, you can go to jonathanpuddle.com support, and there you'll find a link to Patreon for those who want to give monthly or annually, as well as an option to give a one-time gift, if that is more your thing. Thanks for being here. We'll get back to the show. I had a, I had a guy years back, I was, a soft, I was a technology director, and I had a guy working for me who was kind of leading training on this new software product. And and I went away for a couple of weeks and I left him in charge of completing this particular rollout. And I I just, I knew he didn't quite have it in him yet to do it well. But nonetheless, I, he didn't know that I knew that, but but I was confident that I would come back to a bit, a bit of a dumpster fire. So I come, I yes. do, I come, I come back to a dumpster fire and he's so embarrassed. And he's like, Jonathan, I screwed it all up. 
And I said, dude, this is perfect. This is that's good. Best case scenario, because your two options when I came back were to find a dumpster fire or to find no dumpster fire. And no dumpster fire would mean you didn't push hard enough. That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, that, like to your point earlier, that, that showed him some of his boundaries. That showed him, okay, I, I don't do this thing as, thought as, I, as well as I thought I did. And I actually don't have yes. as much like relational equity with those people as much as I thought I did. And, and he sorted himself out, uh, figured Love a bunch it. of shit out, and then changed careers. And then like, yes. <laughs> and, he, and hearing you can hear the process, through you, the process of grace and mercy in a human life in which like you did try. And now you can actually receive the grace so that you can try again. And if you don't try, you don't trust the grace you're receiving. It's like, so I, I love, um, I was just looking it up so I get the, the, the name of the book right. So Gordon McKenzie, um, who wrote Orbiting the Giant Hairball. Did you ever read that book? No. So he worked at Hallmark for the longest time. And I, he had this amazing job title at some point just because he'd been there so long, which was just brilliant and creative and funny. But like his, his primary job was just to say yes to people's projects and ideas. He literally didn't say no, ever. And, uh, and, the, and the reason he did that was, for this, it was because of that process in people. What he believed in is what I was getting to earlier. Is like he believed that insofar as these people have been hired by Hallmark and they've been here, like there's something in you. I don't need to sort that out. I think you're here, you're chasing this because I think you feel it. I'd rather you get to it within yourself than me give you some sort of freaking thing to jump through and shape you into what I think you're supposed to look like. The only way, get you, the only way to get you all the way out is to say, what's in there? What do you want to try to do? Give mm -hmm. me all that. Great. Let's go do that. Okay. This one didn't work. This one, did you like this? Did it hurt? You still want to do it? Okay, cool. Let's keep that. How about we do this? Do you want to do that? Oh, no. Okay, great. And then, and then let's move from there. And like, then you learn your own shape, but you only get there through the process of grace, which you only get to by actually trying and actually failing. Yeah. Okay. So I think there's got to be almost a one-to-one -one theological corollary to this. And I think a lot of Christians don't believe it. Like a lot of Christians live in absolute fear of failure because they've been told like yes. sin is the worst possible thing and God is allergic to it and will hate you. And yes. so why <laughs> ever risk failing? Yes. Uh, what, what do you do with that? Like theologically? I don't think there's a theological justification for that. I think that's I think that is like corporate institutionalism. I, in all honesty, I think like the reason I don't want you, <laughs> if I'm a bad pastor, um, let's just say I definitely have been a bad pastor. And if I'm a bad pastor, there are a couple of reasons I don't want you to fail. One is I look bad when you do. Um, it, it, like my product looks bad. If you're a member of my congregation, you go to my church and you actually full-blown drop the ball, my product looks bad and I'm trying to sell this thing. That's one. Two, if, if it goes the other way, uh, or how should I say this? <laughs> and this is why Rachel was so, uh, Rachel Hall Evans was just so important. It's because this was the, her whole career. I'm going to lose it. Think about her. Um, but this is her whole career. It's like, <clears throat> like if God really is the active, wild person thing god is um then like grace really will hold it all together and as that happens things will be revealed in you that your church can't handle because it's not designed to mm. so the problem ends up being is like <laughs> one i'm i'm afraid that i'm going to look bad as a pastor if you drop the ball the other thing i'm afraid of is that you're not going to need me 
Because if you discover that you and the Holy Spirit, you and the, and, and the creator God, you and the redeemer of all things are actually as tight as you actually are, you don't need me to talk out my ass 52 Sundays out of the year. Like I can, I can, I can only come alongside and help. And that's like, it's harder to get paid to do that job. So I think that's actually what's at hand when we fear failure. I don't want to look bad and I need you to need me. Mm, That's so real. Yes. Yes, indeed. And I have been that guy too. I have been that manager. So have I. I've been that director. (laughs) I've been that project manager. (laughs) I spent a lot of years being like, yeah, but I got a license from the institution that told me I need to make sure you don't blow it. So 1999, I am... At the beginning of 99, I'm 12 years old, and I am at a music festival in New Zealand where I was born and raised, and this cutting-edge third-wave ska band came through called Five Iron Frenzy. Yes. And I happened to be stage support for my father, who is a performing artist, and so that meant I got to live in the artist village for the few days of this music festival, and 12-year-old me met my hero Reese Roper and all these other folks and and I just remember being treated with such kindness and oh, warmth and dignity yes. yes and I'm flipping through your book today and I find this hilarious story about you guys going on on this tour would you tell us some of that story oh yeah so when so five iron frenzy I still number of really, really good friends uh, in the band. Reese and I talk quite a bit. Leonor and I talk uh, as well. Uh, I love these people. I always will. Um, Five Iron Friends at the time, this was 1998, 1999, uh, was the flagship uh, band on Five Minute Walk Records. So not so long after Frank got up in front of a bunch of people and told them I sucked, he then put me on tour with his best band. We played 48 shows in 55 days mostly in roller skating rinks. It was called the Holy Roller Tour. So we were carrying our own sound system, our own stage. Uh, and there were two really, two significant parts. And this is, the, this is directly from the book. The two significant parts. One was, um, well, actually, this is, not in, this is not in the book. When you talk about tr- being treated with dignity and kindness. So back in the day, when bands used to tour like that, and this happened to me, like I, when I went on tours with other people, we would hand people, and I'll just give you numbers so that people understand like how this actually worked. We would end up forking over to go on a, to go on a tour with another artist, like $30,000 to be on that tour. And somehow I had to make back $30,000 over the course of a tour to make it worth it for me. And like, I'm just, you know, I'm, you know, Five Iron Frenzy paid me out of their budget every night, every night they made sure that I left ahead wow who does that like they were just they were completely and foundationally different as a group uh they were a grace and a gift at the time so i'm out i'm on the road i know it's ridiculous that i'm getting paid i know that i I was working for young life before this and i wasn't getting paid um and uh so we're carrying our own stage and we're carrying our own sound system which means the setup is ridiculous so we would arrive like 1.30 2 in the afternoon, two and a half hours of setup with the stage and the sound, which is a ton. And then we would strike it so that they could group skate in the skating rink with the kids who came before. And then we'd rewind the stage, play the show, tear down. And then every night, every single night, the band would hang out on the floor. And I'd never seen this. They would hang out on the floor until the last kid was gone. Mm 
So we would leave really late and really tired. And then night after night after night after night for, for 40 shows. I was confounded at the energy they had for the people that were there. Like, that's just a ton. Um, so show 48, we're on the way to the last show. We're driving to Dayton, Ohio. And a car pulls up next to us and they're screaming at us. And I'm thinking like, it's like, they think it's the band. It turns out that the trailer that we had on the back of the, uh, on the back of the, 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 the van we were in had lost a wheel, not a tire. The wheel was gone. And there was like this big, like shooting spark thing as we were like dragging like metal along the highway for like four miles. They were trying to catch us. So we're on the side of the highway with a busted trailer. Um, the cops show up um, to help like, Hey, what's going on? And like, Oh, we'll get you a tow truck. Hey, meanwhile, would you mind if we, you know, let this, let our dog sniff around your van? We're like, we're fine. I don't care. The dog loses its mind. And so now we are one, one after the other being filed out into the police car being asked, like, are we running drugs between Ohio, you know, between, between, you know, Kentucky and Ohio. I'm like, I, I think there probably are people I actually know there are, but like, I'm not one of them. So like, and the reason they're asking if we're running drugs is because the dog freaked out. They couldn't find any drugs because there were no drugs. No one was pot smoking pot. No one was doing a thing. But, but our tour manager, because of our schedule, like I said, 48 shows after, you know, in 55 days, didn't have time all the time to go to the bank. And almost every kid that showed up, 1,100 kids per night was paying in cash. And he had a suitcase, a duffel bag with like $40,000 in it. And the cop was like, why? Who's carrying $40,000? So now we're on the side of the road. And the, like they, he, one of the cops shows up, his daughter was a Fiverr and Frenzy fan. He's like, oh, I know the band. So now we get it and now like, and this only Fiverr has this. Habit. So now the cop, the, the, the police tour, uh, a tow truck shows up. They load out there. We're going 90 miles an hour up the road. And the, the real dilemma is this is like the last show. It's supposed to be like the, you know, we're going to be barely on time. And the setup, like I said, normally takes like two and a half, three hours plus. We get to the venue like an hour or so before the show's supposed to start. And there's a line of kids waiting for the band to show up. But they're not waiting there to like just greet the band. They, they're, they're waiting there to help. And they're like to help load in gear. Um, and, and they help and, they're just staying, and, they're, and they help set up. They get the stage set up. We start the show just a little bit late. And when they left, two things happened that, that blew my mind. One, they all left. They didn't hang around. They didn't ask for, they didn't like, they, they, and then and then because it was a pay at the door thing, no one got in for free. They didn't want to. It was on the table. It's like, if you helped, like, thank you for being here. They're like, nope, we want to support the band. And they paid their $12 fee to get back in the building, which was just so mind boggling to me because that's not the way the world works. But that was, here you go, the culture that Five Iron had formed by being that way with people consistently night after night, after night, after night. And like it reframed the way I wanted to do my life as an artist. Like I want people to feel that way about me. Like when, like when I, <laughs> when I eat it uh, vocationally, I would like there to be a line of people that are like not standing where I'm supposed to be and be like, you're late and you and no, I would love to have people around me like, Hey, this is a rough season for you. How do we help you? work through that yeah so i love that i love that story i love that about them you wrote right at the end of your book the future of meaningful life together is going to be smaller and more interpersonal yes that's what that story sounds like that's a small story 100 yes yeah and it, it, it's a small story and it, you know 
it wasn't big news. Like it wasn't one of those, like, and it wasn't set up to be that way. It was just like that 15 minute conversation with that kid who doesn't have the courage. And the, the, the 15 minute conversation with that kid who hangs out to the very, very end at like 1245 at night. And the reason she hangs out till 1245 at night is because she's actually terrified of people and she doesn't like crowds, but she really, really, really wants to know what it's like to be Leonor and be a girl on the road with a bunch of guys. And so she just waits all freaking night. And instead of Leonor like not giving that girl her time, she knows that this is what the whole thing's about. So she gives her the 15 minutes and that kind of like, we, you know, this is that, <laughs> this is like cheesy Christian stuff, but like that kind of like small seed of what you called kindness, like, what if that, what if that shit actually works? <laughs> like, like, what if that actually, what if that actually is the ball game and it actually does grow? What if that small thing really does amount to greater things than you can possibly imagine? What, what if that's actually true? What if it really is the mustard seed and not the mega church? Yes. Come on. So good. Justin, where can people find out more about you? Um, if you just search my name, um, on the Google machine, uh, it'll send you to all kinds of places. I spend a lot of time, uh, on Instagram. I do a Q and a every Monday. Um, and then, um, my, my podcast is called at C the at sign and S E A at C with Justin McRoberts. Those are the two most reliable places to find me. Wonderful. I wonder if you would pray for us. I think what's, yeah. what's on my head and heart through all of this, I think is, Having the courage, how do I sum it up? I, I feel like what you're saying to me here is to do with having the courage to allow the process to lead me through failure, through trying, through going 100% at the wall and, and then picking up all the pieces, yeah. to allow that process to, to, to lead me into that kindness and presence and interpersonal thing. That, that that's what art is yes it is so yeah i would love to uh, spirit of god grant um grant these um beloved ones even now uh, a deep sense of your actual of their actual belovedness that they are actually beloved and that what a loving god doesn't do is say <laughs> Um, it's hard out there and it's difficult to figure out, but if you pay enough attention and if you work hard enough, you will figure out what you're supposed to do and who you're supposed to be. Um, instead, I think loving God says, I like you. Where do you want to go? I will go with you. I really like what I've done in you. Even during the times you had no idea I was working in your life and your soul and your body. I like who you're becoming. What do you want to do with this? I will help you. Uh, may these beloved ones hear that um, in the depths of their being. The invitation to become who you have been for years now, making them into as an act of love, an act of love that you joyfully participate in and will continue to. Amen. Amen. 
Honestly, there is so much in there. I even as I was editing it today, I was like, hold, hold on, we okay, stop for a minute and let me just unpack that. So uh, I'm going to do exactly that with my good friend Melissa. We are recording today or tomorrow uh, a B-side for this interview. So if you want to go deeper and uh, process with me uh, and with Melissa some of the things that Justin said, I've been scribbling notes furiously, like I'm just fascinated by so many things here. We are going to have that. It's going to be up on my Patreon podcast B-Sides. So if you want to go and grab Justin's book, make sure you order it. It's on Amazon right now. It is called It Is What You Make Of It, creating something great from what you've been given. You'll find it linked in the show notes. Head to justinmcroberts.com. Go listen to the At Sea podcast. Find his music, listen to him, follow him on Instagram. Justin is a wonderful, warm, generous thinker, writer, creator. And he will challenge you, right? Like, he's generous, but he'll also hold your feet to the fire, I think. So, uh, if you need some coaching, he's your guy. All right, friends. We've got a couple more weeks of very, very exciting interviews coming up. Some major names. And uh, then we'll be done for the summer. So, stay here. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back next week.